Hey folks, welcome back to the MLF Bass Fishing Podcast. This week we had Ron Nelson on. Um, Ron is obviously, I feel like an AOI favorite a lot of years, uh, certainly going into next year uh, with the way the field looks um, in the Tackle Warehouse Invitationals. You know, he's a guy who should be up there in contention, uh, I would say, Um and so we talked about that. We uh, talked about some of the rule changes. We talked about just some of his uh, decisions he'd made in the past. And I kind of tried to get into his head a little bit about fishing as far as like how to fish better, how to uh, learn more about fish, and just to try to understand how he thinks about it a little bit. Because Ron is uh, he's a unique thinker. Um, I have a hard time, you know, like really figuring out how he's fishing some of the times, but he's like phenomenal at it. And I think he just does it and explains it a little bit different than a lot of other people. And I think that's a pretty valuable thing. So we tried to get into that. Um, you know, we talked around other regular preseason stuff. Um, and, uh, I think it was a good conversation. I was like talking with Ron. Yeah, so anyway, here it is. Alrighty, and now we are joined by Ron Nelson, um, a former Rookie of the Year, former Angler of the Year, qualified for the Bass Pro Tour a couple years ago, uh, fished the Pro Circuit last year, is fishing the Invitationals this year. Um, Ron, I guess uh, congratulations on all your success. Um, thanks for taking the time to come on. I hope Michigan Winner is treating you all right. Yes, good morning, Jody. Hey, I'm so glad to be on talking with you. It's a, it's a new year, 2023. It sounds strange, but, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to a new season. Really excited. We were just talking, like, you've been busy with a house, and you haven't, like, you've got a new boat, and I don't think you've touched it as far as, like, rigging it yet or anything like that. Like, I don't want to say you're behind the eight ball, but you haven't really been leaning on, like, the next year all that much. Like, you've been busy with current stuff right yeah and that's where it's like a double-edged sword it's, it's great to sometimes get jumped into that tackle and jump into everything you know early but it's also sometimes and i enjoy like my wife and i were you know doing a remodel slash new you know home and it's exciting it's a great time in our life and you know to design a home that you in you know, a space that you guys want to live in it's you know it's it's really exciting, but I don't forget about fishing. You know, I'm, mentally, you've, you've got to start kind of just, I don't say, in like envisioning your season coming up, but like I love Florida. I'm super excited to be, uh, you know, starting a season off in Florida. And, uh, you know, it takes me like 15 minutes to get ready for Florida as far as rods, reels, baits, you know, kind of thing. So I feel like the, I can slack a little bit on that, but I'll definitely be ready to, uh, to catch them in Florida. I do plan on getting down to Florida in the state of Florida a little bit sooner and uh, getting a few days of just like fun fishing to kind of get dialed in with uh, the techniques again. I mean, it's like I spend my evenings here. We have a, a river close to the home called the St. Joseph River and I enjoy just wade fishing. I'll go down in the evening and wade fish and uh, take that 
seven foot six medium light rod with you know some eight pound sunline braid and a little ball head and a little fluke and go out there and catch them walleye and it's you know that kind of keeps your mind keeps you in the the you know the rhythm of casting and fishing and envisioning uh getting bit so no i'm i'm excited i'm definitely uh definitely excited for a new season yeah it definitely i feel like it seems like you put away the bass rods a little bit as when the year is over but you don't stop fishing do you hunt at all because i know a lot of guys hunt in the off season but you don't really do that right no a lot of my friends you know they all hunt and they also i'm talking about their hunting stories and i enjoy listening to them but i just can't put down that uh that fishing rod in the fall time you know we've got uh nothing great you know lake wise i've got lake michigan close by but we've got a, you know the river here has got some decent smallmouth fishing in it in the fall time and then you know that equates to a nice salmon run and then turns into a nice steelhead run and so right now we've got you know a fair amount of steelhead in the river and the walleye so I can go out and catch bass and owl in some of the areas, but they're just not as fun to catch. They don't fight like a cold water species fish would either. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool that you get to do that though, because like, I mean, man, I feel like the fishing in the fall is, in the fall and the winter is way underappreciated up north. Like, you see so many fewer boats out, so many fewer guys fishing, and like the fishing is still phenomenal this time of year. I think. Oh. Oh, absolutely. I think the, the fishing is at its best, you know, when the fish actually, uh, you know, group up. And once you find them, you can consistently show up to the same area and, and catch them, you know. And so until the ice gets on, and I mean, I just don't, uh, our ice is never really that good here. I mean, I think the last year they had, they had good ice, but typically a good year is like five, six inches of ice. You know, and that's, to me, I don't like to walk out unless I know I can not fall through. <laughs> yeah i guess i guess so it's uh that's interesting though that uh for you like five or six inches is a good year because i i sort of lump michigan in with like the wisconsin and minnesota ice belt where it's just like a ridiculous amount and people are driving trucks on the ice by christmas but i guess that's not the case no we're i mean i live close to lake michigan so we get uh the lake effect warm snow, so every time yeah. i get yeah, so if it does, even it does get cold, it always comes equates with you know a heavy snowfall, and so the last polar vortex thing we just had, and we had you know wind chills of negative forty five degrees, and we had sustained winds at thirty five to forty miles an hour for days, and it was very cold, and you know there was you know icy and made, but it, there was snow coming down with it, and that snow comes down and insulates the uh, ice, and it just kind of slows down the formation of it. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um... I guess as far as I want to, I want to hit on some stuff that I don't know. It's probably a little bit disappointing to talk about, or and maybe that's not the case. We'll find out. But like uh, hindsight being twenty twenty, you uh, let's see, it would have been twenty twenty one. You qualified to fish the Bass Pro Tour, and so in twenty twenty two, you decided to fish the Pro Circuit. You weren't going to jump up to the up or sideways. You know, you weren't going to jump up to the Bass Pro Tour. Like, you were comfortable where you were at, so to speak. Um, what, uh, I guess, like, from your, from your perspective then and now, like, how does that decision sit? Because it seems like if you had to do it again, like, the move would have been, well, man, 
probably should have fished the pro circuit consider or fished the uh bass pro tour considering what we've got right now <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know it's, it's that's always the easy way to you know approach any decision jody you know is, is to look at things hindsight and you know absolutely you know if i knew that uh you know they would have made a shift like they have you know with the invitational series i probably would have jumped on and fished you know the bass pro tour but that being said you know, I had a great 21 season. I had a solid 22 season. I think my worst finish in AOI has been 20th. That was this last year. And so I haven't had a bad year per se yet, you know, staying where I was at, you know. And I do plan on, uh, you know, like in 23, you know, a goal will be set to uh, requalify, you know, for the Bass Pro Tour. Yeah. So, you know, that being said, I look. I always live my life looking forward and, you know, it's not, not, not a big deal really, you know, end of the day. It's not – yeah, because you had a solid year this year. I mean, you made what I think at least two top tens. Yeah, um, I had two top tens, and you know, nothing to complain about. Yeah, which is like not. It's I'm gonna be honest. It's not quite your up to your like usual standard, uh, if that makes sense. Because you know, a lot of times, I mean, gosh, you finished like technically 2022 is your worst year on the pro circuit. Because in 2019, you finished ninth. You won AOI in 2020. In 2021, you finished 13th. At And then this last year, you finished 20th. At the same time, you made more money in 2022 than you did in 2021. Um, and you had as many top 10s as you did any of the other years. So, like, it's hard to, hard to be mad at that, I suppose. <laughs> No, it is. Just, I mean, I'm still disappointed. Absolutely, I like to, you know, I want to be in that top ten AOI every every year and have a chance to, uh, you know, to win it. I just made, uh, and it was strictly my fault. Like on the probably the turning point was like the James River. You know, I just did not have have enough tackle with me, and I didn't plan on, you know, I made that run into the Chickahominy and was flipping them lay down pad stocks. So I just the, the fishing rods that I had with me were too soft. I just could not pull them big fish out. Really? And I just lost a, I lost a lot of big fish. And I could see every one of them, you know, down there shaking their heads. And I just, you know, so that kind of hurt my season. But, you know, overall, you know, it was, yeah, a fantastic season. That's why I'm looking forward to, you know, 23. We've started off in Texas the last couple of years, which I love Texas too, you know. But it's always a little bit warmer in Florida. And if you get a cold front, you know, it's always shorter lived. So I'm just excited to start off the season in a nice warm climate. Yeah, and like you fished that, you know, the, the Southern Division, Southeastern Division of the Toyota Series for a long time. And yep. like you've got a lot of Florida experience for a guy with a Michigan address. Yeah, because I, I mean, I kind of grew up, you know, as I grew up, but like through the grade school, high school, you know, especially high school years, we'd always go to Florida to see a family down there over like the holidays. And so mm-hmm. it was always like, you know, the first thing I want to do is jump out and chase some little lizards around and, you know, grab a fishing rod and go to the nearest, you know, pond or little lake I could fish from shore. And just, I've always loved Florida. I love just the, the smell of the ocean. I love the orange blossoms. It just, it feels like a second home to me. And at some point, someday it will be a second home. Nice. Do you have a preferred lake down there? Because, like, I know you've fished a lot of those tournament fisheries. You know, I used to love, I say, Okeechobee used to be my favorite as far as, like, showing up there and just having a lot of aquatic vegetation. 
and a lot of wildlife, a lot of birds, and just you could close your eyes and not even you know fish and just hear all the birds and all the wildlife and feel the sun on your face and it just felt you know so now it's like Okeechobee is you know it's evolved, it's changing a little bit and hopefully it you know gets back to its glory days. But uh, I just love being in Florida. Period. You know, I mean, there's not a favorite lake per se down there. That's fair. Have you this year? Okeechobee is going to be quite a bit higher than it typically is. I don't know if you've looked at the uh, water level where it's like, I guess, probably like two feet above average or so from the hurricanes they had in the fall. Have you ever fished it yep. when it's been that high before? Like, do you re- do you remember those kind you know, of times? I, w- I think it might have been a little bit high the one time I fished it years ago, but not not this high. But I think back then when the water was higher there was a lot more vegetation in the lake now i think there's a lot less vegetation in the lake so i think it'll those fish can push back and disappear in some areas still but there'll be less areas that can do that in i think so i think it'll fish really small in me this year but i think the fishing will be great i just don't think it'll be as spread out as you'd like to have it be yeah i could i could see that it seems like okeechobee like i don't want to say every year it fishes tighter and tighter because this last year the last time we were there Actually, guys were kind of catching them all over the place, but that's always a storyline. Like, there's always one part of the lake that just gets hammered, and a lot of times it turns out to be a really good part of the lake. But you know, it's uh, it it's always it's not that is not a lake that you go to to not see anyone. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest with you, Joey, that would be actually that's one of those lakes on my bucket list. I would love to have a win, you know, from Okeechobee. I think Okeechobee is one of the hardest lakes to to win a four-day event. Now, being said, we're going to a three-day event this year coming up. I think it'll be, a, you know, whoever wins it, it'll be a little bit easier of a task because, you know, as that lake's, you know, the wind switches direction, different areas fire up on that lake, you know. So the hardest thing to do is if you be catching them two days in a row on one in a good quadrant at a lake and the wind does a complete switch and that area gets trashed by the wind, you know, it's hard to leave fish that got you to where you're at you know yeah so i think it'll you know with the three-day event come up this year it'll be exciting to see, somebody might be able to just hammer down and catch them three days in a row in the same section of the lake and really you know come off the big weight yeah no doubt on on that point we've got a couple of i guess we've got a couple of rule changes this year uh one of them is three days the other one is you get another you get go back to three days of practice um and and we've got we, we're losing zeroed weights in the final day, so we're going back to a full three day wait, not a you know make the final day everyone starts from zero situation. Uh, what what's your vibe on just some of the changes? Because I personally I kind of like a lot of them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like going back to last year, it was you know it was different having that final day weights being zeroed. You know, it was like a one in ten you know man derby shootout. But you also, once you made the top 10, you know, it was like a 1 in 10 chance to uh, to win, you know. I didn't think the greatest guy of the week won the event, but the luckiest guy that day won the event. Whereas you're going back to accumulation of your weight, you know, the guy who wins that event will be the guy who outfished everybody for the entire event, not just, you know, the final day. So that's exciting, you know, going back to accumulation of weight and you know, three days, I think that's exciting, too. That's kind of my back to my roots of re- originally starting off fishing the, the series event, whether it was a Rayovac or Toyota Series. You know, 
I had, you know, fair success at that level on those three-day events, you know, and... Yeah, and fair success is... Fair success is three wins, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's uh, pretty fair, I'd say. Yeah, but, it's, you know, the, the win has eluded me, you know, at the, at the pro circuit level, and that's where I feel like... I felt like last year I was going to have a chance to win one. I did. I had, I had two top tens, and I felt like... Pickwick was a real chance for me to win potentially, but you know Gunnersville, I knew I just couldn't catch a winning bag the way I was fishing, so I just tried to take a risk and you know scrap what I was doing and just try to you know take a shot at the win. So you know it'll be different too though with this. You know the only they say downslide or difference would be you know before you had a top ten, whereas now I think the top fifty fish the third day. So it's like before if you made a top ten, you're like well the worst I can do is you know tenth. Well if you don't play your cards right on the third day, you know, you, yeah, you slip, can really drop. You know, yeah. You can really drop potentially. So that being said, you know, I won't change my strategy. I'm going to try to win every one I fish. I mean, that's the whole goal is to show up and try to win one. Yep. So I'm not going to play it safe by any means. Yeah. It seems like too, I mean, you have kind of proven throughout your career that like you can, you can fish to win and, when it doesn't work out, you still end up with a good tournament a lot of the times. And it, I don't know, it feels like maybe that's almost what you have to do at the level you fish at. But I don't know, I feel like you've been very insulated from bombs, despite I feel like you generally are trying like very hard to win. Yeah, I mean, I think some of my worst bombs i've had things out of my control happen too you know so if i've had a, if I've had a bad real bad finish it's been something mechanical has happened you know or you know, some small equipment failure type deal but yeah overall i mean you know i look at you know my track record before i went pro and even at the local level you know i felt like i'm always not top 20 percent realistically of you know an event which is you know pretty hard to do day in and day out yeah yeah no doubt um Let's see. Uh, what about the three days of practice? Because you went, you know, historically fishing the Toyota Series, fishing the FLW Tour. Uh, you know, you had as well. You had three days of practice on tour, and then you had really as much time as you wanted on the Toyota Series level. Um, yep. What's What's your vibe going back to three? Because you're not really a guy that goes and pre practices very much, right? Like you don't put that extra road time in usually. Yeah, I'm usually too far from an event to make it uh, make it happen. So time-wise, just doesn't make much sense to do that. But uh, I'm really looking forward to three days. That really f- fit my um, game plan, I guess you'd say, or strategy a lot better. I felt like before when it was three days, I could the first day I would try to find the winning fish, and I seemed like always like the first day I could find I say winning fish, but the fit, not my best fish I could find the first day of practice, and then usually the next two days I'd spend trying to disprove that you know that pattern or that location or something and it felt like we went to two days i couldn't take that big risk on that first day and so i kind of was like almost like trying to find a starting spot you know and then as the event would go on you try to find you know you hope you catch them decent enough the first day early enough you could go practice the first day a little bit to help you continue to learn so i think this back to three days is really going to help me a lot i'll feel a lot more comfortable with it yeah, I think, I think it could help quite a few guys because I, I think that the way the off limits have changed, you know, because 
it it's going to put a lot... I'm sure pre-practice will still be important, but I think it'll put a lot more emphasis on, like, figuring it out that week. And I think that it seems like that's where you just really historically have excelled because there's... I mean, look at your... Uh, Look at your Champlain wins, right? Like, those are... Obviously, you went into the tournament, you know, knowing that spawning smallmouth were going to be a factor, or knowing that, yeah, you could catch some largemouth shallow, right? But, yeah. like, each of those tournaments, you know, you... You fish them... You won them differently, despite, you know, theoretically it being kind of the same. And with your experience there, like, you could have just done the same thing two, two years in a row, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's where, like you said originally, is you got to figure out what the lakes give you that week, you know? And the first year, I recall, I had a really short practice the first year, and I was going to say I was lucky to win, but, you know, you're always lucky to win. But I felt like I found everything during the tournament pretty much that I caught. You know, otherwise the second year, I actually said, no, I'm going to show up, you know, and put some – a little bit of work into it for a few days and so you know, had a few days of practice and put the work into it and was able to fish the you know the lake was just at a different level water wise and the you know different fish the brown fish were doing different than the green fish were doing in certain areas and so i felt like you know but having that practice where you feel comfortable that's the biggest thing i think is it will help a lot of guys not just myself a lot of guys will feel more comfortable having three days yeah you know we fish a lot of new waters i mean like you know last year you know, Pickwick was new to me, for example, you know, and to to jump into a big body of water, you know, and to try to figure out what place you want to call home or what section of the lake you want to call home is, you know, is tough in two days. This year, uh, you're, I guess you've got some stuff that you haven't fished, right? Like Okeechobee, you've definitely fished. Uh, Potomac and Mississippi to end the season, you definitely have. Yep. Have you been to any of the others because that midsection of the schedule is is really interesting to me like it looks pretty fun it looks real fun and i've never been to they're all new to me so you know i thought about you know stopping at the second you know the second stop and pre-fishing that on the way home or something or the way down but i probably won't i'll probably just show up and fish the three days you know when you fish them herring lakes those can be you know, challenging in itself for me because I don't have anything like that back home to relate to, you know. So, you know, that'll be interesting, you know, as far as if you can get some some baits you feel confident to to catch the fish on, you know. But, no, they're, they're, the, the whole year looks like a great schedule. I mean, it really does. Yeah, I – do you like going to new places? Oh, absolutely. That's the – that was kind of what really got me, you know, people I know, like, what got me fishing – at the level I'm at, it was really like, you know, I love fishing around home, but you just, I felt like you plateau, I plateaued out and I still had the desire to learn more about bass fishing, but you know, without hitting the road and traveling, you just, you know, it's prime example, like, a, you know, you read the magazines a bit, you know, I was younger about the shad spawn down South or something. And while well, you know, to experience it, you gotta go down South and fish it. So that's kind of where I jumped on and fish tutorial series and that's why i would you know i'd jump in and fish from southeast divisions because i just wanted to uh, you know had the quest for knowledge and the passion for the sport and so that's where i'm at now is i absolutely love going to a new body of water because it's you know exciting it's new i have no preconceived ideas i just want to show up and and 
and kind of figure out what the lake has to offer. Yeah. What do you, so as far as like figuring things out, learning new things, what did you, what are some things that you learned this last year in 2022? Because I can think of at least one thing and maybe two. Well, I mean, I learned, you know, obviously, you know, you don't turn down opportunities that you have sometimes that you, that you work hard for, you know, but. Oh, that's a, that's a good point as well. Know, that's a third I mean, thing worked, to learn. Yeah. I mean, I worked, I worked hard to qualify for the Bass Pro Tour and yeah, you work hard every season, you know, but you know, it's ultimately for me, it's about, you know, it's making it just the journey of life in general. If you're not enjoying it, then, you know, do something else. And I, you know, I absolutely enjoy the tournament fishing, you know, and so I feel centered. I feel grounded. I absolutely love doing it. I love the, you know, I said the mental game. Like I said, I'm already envisioning Okeechobee. I'm already envisioning different situations that I'll face. And so when I do face them, I'm already mentally prepared for them. You know, when that big cold front comes in, you know, just kind of a mental checklist of how to, how to address it, you know? Yeah. So when, when I, I thought you were going to say that you learned about really heavy Carolina rigs and chatterbaits, because that's just where my head went. <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, I hate to admit, but like, chatterbaits, I still don't like them. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll have it in my hand next next year for sure a little bit more, but, you know, I don't think I've hardly thrown it a whole lot. I threw that Gunnersville for the uh, the championship that for the tournament series. I threw the chatterbait down there and caught my fish on it. But, you know, I had a, fant- I mean, I had a phenomenal practice on it, and then somehow, you know, Either my fish were migrating out of the areas I was in, but all the fish turned into two pounders instead of four to six pounders. But you know that bait is fun to get bit on. You know, it's they, you know, the, the different ways they bite that bait. You know how they knock slack in the line, or just I mean, it's just it's a fun bait to fish. If you still don't like it, how are how are you throwing it? Because I think like you kind of discovered that this thing worked for you at Pickwick, right? And you're not a it's weird to say because a chatterbait is like such a predominant technique, but it wasn't something like you really felt like you had in your arsenal, right? Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I think that first time I thought I was going to throw it was in Rayburn, you know, and I threw it for like 10 casts and I hooked a big fish and lost it. And I was like, oh, I'm cutting it off. <laughs> so I literally cut it off and, you know, like compared to like a swim bait where I feel like when they eat the swim bait, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to land them, you know. But that being said, you know, I felt, you know, I also had the wrong rod, you know, rod reel line set up too the first year, you know, I used it. And so I think this last year, I just kind of played it a little bit during the tournament at Pickwick and kind of, you know, kind of learned it during the tournament. And so, yeah, I tried to catch those fish on other baits. I did catch a few fish on other baits, but it just felt like that was like the fish would tell me they wanted that bait. And so I'm like, I'm not going to put it down if they want it. I'm just going to keep on giving it to them, you know, so. You know, I, I know Okeechobee is always a chatterbait lake as well. And you look at Mr. Skeet Reese last time we were there, you know, dropped a, a big bag on a scale doing that. Yeah. Chatterbait's won a lot of tournaments on Okeechobee over the years. Yeah. And with, you know, diminishing water qualities, you know, sometimes that chatterbait could even play even more potentially, you know. So, no, I'll definitely have it in my hand this next year. and But I tell you, I still own about, like, five of them. That's all I own, you know. I just... I probably uh, should get on Tackle Warehouse and uh, actually stock myself up. You should probably buy a couple more just to just to have. I mean, even if you like give them out to kids at gas stations or something, like 
Yep, I feel yep. like, you know, <laughs> you might, you, you should have more than five chatterbaits, I think. But at the same time, yeah, I can't argue with the results. <laughs> you know, speaking of giving stuff away to kids, I always enjoy doing that, Jody. You know, anytime I'm on the road and, you know, there's always those young anglers that approach me, you know, I'm always digging through and giving them something. And a lot of times they end up with some of my best baits, actually, still. I don't, you know, in the end of the day, I'm happy to give them away. Well, you know, you, I feel like, pick up baits a lot, too. Like, wasn't there a year where you made a top 10, like, on a jerk bait or a spook that you, like, got from a guy in the parking lot, like, the night before a oh, tournament yeah. or something like that? Like, I feel like you have a back-and-forth flow. <laughs> yeah, I think the young guy was a, Timothy was his name, you know, and we were just talking jerk baits, and he's like, oh, I got these, you know, I'm like, oh, no, it's pretty cool. He's like, well, hey, you should try that. I'm like, yeah, I'll start tomorrow. I think I'll catch him on it tomorrow. And then I tied it on, and I caught him on it. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, you know, I'm not a Brian Thrift, you know, and then, you know, hats off to Brian because, you know, he's amazing at being organized and amazing at, you know, having every, you know, water column dissected with every bait he's got in his, you know, front deck of his boat, you know. Um, you know, I grew up as a, I'm saying, a, as a pocket fisherman. I'd put a few baits in my pocket and, and go fishing, and I kind of feel like I do that same now that's one thing i want to try to work on the next year or two is trying to just you know get a little more tackle once i get moved into the house and have the boat you know have its own designated spot you know for you know it'll be easier to kind of go through and keep stuff organized because i don't want a bunch of stuff if i can't stay organized with it yeah i think that's a that's a key because like there's it's a lot it's really easy to accumulate a lot of stuff and then you know throw it in a big cardboard box and then a year later like dig through that box and be like, oh man, I didn't even know I had these. Uh, which I say that from personal yeah. experience, <laughs> and it doesn't do yeah, any good. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, just looking forward to next year, Jody. I mean, you know, it's been a great 2022, and looking forward to you know a 23 season. And you know, MLF has always made changes, and they're still you know trying to tweak the business model. They're still trying to you know you know, provide, you know, for the fans that the fans want and stuff. So they're doing a great job trying to, you know, to get the ball rolling strong. And so, you know, I'm glad to be where I'm at and, you know, look forward to, to, you know, new lakes and, you know, familiar lakes. Like I'm looking actually, you know, for a lot to lacrosse. I mean, lacrosse is a neat, yeah, a really a neat place. fishery, you know. I just, hopefully we got some, a little bit more water. I think we were there before. The water was really, really low. And that was one you had a chance to win too. Uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I really did. I felt like I could win that, you know, a tournament. And then, you know, I hit a, a underwater obstruction. I think it was like in pre-patch out there coming back from uh, Sturgeon Bay or something like that. And so I stopped the lacrosse out there and fished that and uh, hit a hit a underwater log or something and toasted my gear case then. And then that was when stuff was unavailable to get. So I actually had to put a remanned gear case on my boat and it just didn't hold up for the tournament. It just, I think that fourth day it blew up, uh, close to takeoff. And by the time I got, you know, I had my chase boat behind me, they told me back in and then Mercury was fantastic. They got me swapped out back in the water quick. But the issue was the, with the barge schedule, they'll call the lock master. Oh, and and the there was like, yeah, he said, we can't push you through because we've got a continuous flow of barges and we got one slot for the guys to come back in the afternoon. And so that I was saving my best fish, the last day, you know, cause I didn't want to be seen fishing them, and you know, they, and I had a, a school of nothing but biggins, you know, and I'm like, oh, it was so painful not to be able to lock through. Yeah, that but, was. You know, you learn a lesson too. Sometimes, you know, I mean, that's what it's, you know, you can't 
you always got to strategize, but sometimes it doesn't pay off, and that's just, you know, there was no... Uh, yeah, it doesn't there seem like no there's a way to strategize around that, though. Like, I mean, I think you probably, I think you had the right strategy, because if your lower unit holds up for another, you know, six miles another of running, day. you're good to yeah. go. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. The damage would have been done, so I've been, you know, I've been good. But that's why you said you just got to be positive about it and say, hey, I still made a, you know, solid, solid tournament and had a chance to win and made the right decisions and found the right fish and... You know, it still didn't work out, but oh well, you know, it, you know. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. You were talking earlier about, like, envisioning the bite or, like, just sort of, and this was some of, like, your river fishing, I guess, and then you were talking about uh, a little bit, like, you know, about sort of mentally preparing for new conditions or for challenges on the water. What, like... Can you explain that a little bit more? Like, is there a bit... Do you feel like there's a big mental side to your fishing? Oh, absolutely. Like, I would say a prime example would be Florida. Like, the Okeechobee bass especially, they're like a whole different breed in themselves, you know? And so I kind of like to reflect back upon the mistakes I've made. And I'm saying that, like, when the sun pops out, those fish can just all of a sudden instantly, like, fire up you know and just little micro changes if you don't make those micro adaptations you will fish poorly or finish poorly compared to making a slight little adjustment and i mean like when a cold front comes in it's the same thing like fishing slow and it's hard for me to fish slow like really slow and you know you've got mentally like you know revisit those ideas so you don't forget about it and you know continue with your old habits because you know if you're catching them on a nice stable pattern of weather and practice and you want to catch them that same way or catching at that same speed of your fishing and that front comes in you better make those adjustments you know and a lot of times you know you, i just want to run around and fish somewhere else it's like no if you know the fish are there you just gotta keep slowing and keep slowing until you, you know, get those bites. And then once you get those bites and you kind of get dialed in, but you have to be mentally like prepared ahead of time. Like you've got to kind of envision it. you got to kind of remind yourself because if you don't, you'll get burned, you know, in Florida really easy. Yeah. When you fish, are you thinking a lot about like what your bait is doing down there? Cause I know you're like, you're an exceptional clear water angler. And like when you can see a smallmouth. Obviously, that's, like, watch out for Ron Nelson. Do you feel like, like, do you spend a lot of time, do you do so well in that clear water, and, like, does that translate over to your other fishing, where you feel like you know exactly what's happening down there? Oh, no, that's, that's a, you know, that's a very good point. No, you have to, um, you know, really envision, like, you know, if you're if you're punching a mat, you know, you got to envision exactly, you know, where your bait's at in the water column. You know, when that fish bit your bait, you know, if it's at near the top of the mat, if it's halfway down, if it's at the very bottom, you know, you're constantly envisioning, like, that's what helps me. I say it helps me, but it helps. I enjoy my mental side is like me fishing walleye. I fish them at night for the most part, like right at dark, in the dark. And so it's, you know, you're casting that bait out, and you're, but you're feeling it. I mean, you're really feeling what that bait's doing, and so your, your, your senses of feel get heightened you know and so 
it's very important to know exactly what your bait's doing because there are so many times, and I'm sure it's all of us, that you get bites out the day that you never feel. The big fish will suck that bait in, and it's just a little bit of a slight vibration loss in your bait or a little feel difference, and that fish has got it, and then I'll let, let it go. And so the more you can be just tuned in on senses, you know, I think just one or two bites a day extra really helps. Yeah. I I remember, and this is like sort of pre-forward-facing sonar, and like back when I would fish in the winter a little bit differently than I used to, you know, I would, you would cast a swim bait out, I would let it sink, and then I would reel it in, and like, I would have times where I would make these two-minute casts, like literally, just because you had a pretty light bait, you wanted to get it so close to the bottom in X depth of water, like, have you found, like, have you found that forward-facing sonar has helped you with understanding what your bait is doing, or do you think it hurts sometimes, because you can just see it instead of having to, like, live with the bait, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's got its ups and downs. When you're, when you're actually watching that sonar, it takes you away from the feel of what you're doing sometimes. But there's also times I'll, like, I'll be watching that sonar, and I'll actually just look away from it. As that fish is approaching that bait, I'm looking away mm-hmm. from that sonar and going back, to, going back to the feel so that fish does eat that lure. I'm not snatching it too soon like setting a hook too soon on it because a lot of times you when you're watching that screen and they come chase up on it and you you know see them hit it and you know, feel it like you, you're just not in your correct rhythm and so you know the forward facing sonar is is amazing as far as the information you can gather from it you know that we couldn't gather before i mean be able to see exactly where you're at in the water column but be able to see how many fish are there and what size of fish are there and how those fish are relating to uh your bait and the mood they're in and it's you know before you'd be like oh maybe the school kind of shifted they're just not here as good and it's you know forward facing sonar you know if they're there or not for sure there's no doubt about it like you know they just they can't hide from you you know yeah yeah what kind of things have you learned from it like what was your have you had a moment where it was just like striking and you feel like you learned something you wouldn't have otherwise ever figured out Oh, uh, I remember on Sturgeon Bay, you know, I had a, some subpar finish there too, but I remember, like, I was drop shot, and, you know, those fish were going down on it, you know, and going down on it. You know, every time you drop it, you see one, they drop it, just it was so hard to get a bite and found, like, you know, I just said, run. I'm just, I know the fish is, can see my bait, I know it's on my bait, and I'm not going to take it out of there until that fish bites it. And it was like a, it was just a longer window before that fish would bite. Like, I went from, you know, every fish I dropped on was going down to it, not biting to. Almost every fish I would drop on, majority of them would bite. It took a lot longer from the bite, but, I, you know, it translated into actually getting a bite, though. And so just knowing that that fish was actually on the bait, looking at it, looking at it, circling it, you know, and, and like, who's getting frustrated first, the fish or me? And I was getting frustrated before they were getting frustrated, <laughs> you know. And so once I kind of, you know, took that information and used it to my advantage, then I started putting fish in the boat. That's a uh, that's cool. Like that's a that's a neat way to look at it and understand it. Cause yeah, a lot of times I feel like we get in a hurry, maybe before fish do, in cold whether it's in cold weather or in Florida or or even just like sometimes you know with a swim bait or something like they might follow it twenty thirty feet, and if we could have just cast another thirty feet farther, maybe it would have followed it 
45, 50 feet and then bit, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so that's where I said that, that, I mean, a lot of guys are haters of forward facing sonar saying, oh, it's not fair. And, you know, there's always technology and advancement in fishing and, you know, it's definitely to our advantage to, to have it. And if you don't have that forward facing sonar, you know, it's, you at a competitive level, it's hard to, you know, to do it. But you look at something like, you know, John Cox, for example, like, you know, he likes a certain style of fishing, a certain depth of water. And, you know, that's not a huge, you know, a huge advantage, you know, for him per se, you yeah. know? So, I mean, but with 90% of the anglers, 95% of the anglers, you know, if you don't have that forward facing sonar, you're definitely missing out. Also, if you're like a shallow water frog fisherman, for example, if you're, you know, flipping laydowns or, you know, maybe you can even use, I mean, there's so many situations I use, that, you know, forward facing sonar in really skinny water. You know, I used it on uh, St. Lawrence River this last year, um, fishing a real shallow spot for the smallies, you know, for the tortoise series. There was just clouds that come in and you couldn't visually see them where they're at, but you could watch them that sonar in three feet of water. I could see them sliding around and like, oh, they're over here, you know, oh, they're over here, you know. And so it was just, you know, and I, I never thought you'd use it that shallow, but I'm definitely going to use it, you know, shallow a lot more. That's really cool. That's, I feel like that's where some of the innovation is going to come from it. Um, I was listening to a, uh, the Angler's Happy Hour podcast with, uh, like Josh Bertrand does yesterday, and they had Alton, uh, Alton Jones Jr. on. And he was talking about how, at Lake Fork, when he won this spring, he could, there was like a stump in like three feet of water, and he could see like five or ten fish on it, and mm -hmm. didn't catch them, didn't catch them, didn't catch them, left, went down the, like down the stump line a little bit, came back, and just from a, you know, 180 degree different angle, all of a sudden caught like five in a row or something like that, and like, you know, he knew the fish were there. He could see them in muddy water on live scope in three feet of water and, yep. like, figured out how to trigger them, which you probably wouldn't ever do otherwise, you know? No, you never would. There's no chance ever that that would happen. You would just put a fish down that line, never came back. You, came, you know, you might have came back late in the day or something, but you never would have came back and fished at a different angle. And it's, it's so weird that you mentioned that, how I've had it happen to me multiple times where you've, you fish a group of fish and you just can't trigger them and then you switch angles and it's like lights out, you know, and it's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all I had to do is move a boat, you catch it from this angle instead and all of a sudden you go biting every, you know, and, and I've actually you know, left that angle with a bite and gone back to what and not give them the bite again and go back to that same angle and give them the bite again. So I know like for whatever reason that just, you know, we think we know a lot about fish, but in reality, I don't know a dang thing about catching fish, you know, <laughs> but I love trying, you know. <laughs> Have you seen that happen, uh, like, in the river with walleye and stuff like that, too? Like, is this something, like, do you feel like that angle thing, like, applies across all kinds of fishing, or is it only in certain scenarios? Like, is, is oh, for no, current, is there always, I... like, one angle that they bite on? <laughs> no, no, there's not one angle, you know, that's where... You know, current, you know, affects your rate of fall as to what angle you cast at. You know, if you take like an eighth ounce, you know, jig and you cast it straight out in front of you, you know, how it washes down and the, the, the rate it falls and the rate it swings. Or if you cast upstream or you cast downstream, it, it changes all that. And, you know, there's always, that's one of the things I'm doing, like on the fish those walleye with my buddies is 
find out that angle that those fish want that bait to come through the water column. And once you find it, I mean, it's, it's, cause you got guys next to you that, you know, don't understand it sometimes, you know, they do now cause I've talked to them about it and we've all discussed it, but it's, you know, it's definitely huge. I mean, cause you can walk two feet from somebody and they're not catching anything. You walk in there and then five minutes, figure that angle out and you're like, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. And they're like, what the heck? I've been here for a half hour and you walk in and catch them. Yeah. And so like, no, that angle is, is huge. Yeah. And, and that's a situation. It's not like you're showing the fish, like, it's not like the fish before didn't see the bait. Like they have lateral lines. They have eyes. They could see where it was. They just, something about it wasn't triggering them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's where, like I said, we don't know much about fishing. Like we think we do, but if you can figure out what triggers them, it's easy to trigger me. You put a plate of food down. I'm like, Oh, food. All right. Yay. I'll eat it. Unless it's shrimp. You know, yeah, if it's shrimp, then I'm like, no, I never tried shrimp, and I don't want to try shrimp. <laughs> you know? If I can't see the ocean, then I don't want to eat the seafood, you know, I just, you know. Yeah, that's fair. But, you know. But, no, it's, it's, I just love fishing, Jody, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm proud to be an MLF angler, and I'm, you know, proud to be fishing next year on the uh, Invitational Series and look forward to having, you know, great things happen. And, you know, mindset and attitude is, is, is always huge, you know, and, and anything you face and any challenge, any, you know, adventure you face is, you know, take it head on and take it with a excitement. And I'm, you know, I just feel like 2023 is going to be potentially my best year yet, you know. What, uh, what's your goal for next year or goals? You know, you always have the goal, you know, of just, I want that the W I want to win, but I also just want to, I'd like to win more than one. I feel like if I can win one in a season, I'll be like Nick LeBrun or something, you know, and you get on that streak and you just, you know, it just happens automatically. Almost like, you know, you can't do anything wrong. Yeah. You know, that's something that's kind of been tickling at my mind more too, because we saw what LeBrun did and we saw what uh, Connell did, you know, winning three in one year. And like, I had always kind of reserved stuff like that for, I'd always thought like, if somebody's going to do that, it's going to be Kevin Van Dam. It's going to be Jacob Wheeler. It's like going to be guys who I mentally put on a pedestal, right? And yep. like Connell and LeBrun, great anglers, but they're not, I mean, I don't like Connell. I don't think he's won an angler of the year title. You know, LeBrun hasn't. Like, they're they're guys who are good fishermen, but they haven't previously been, like, just lock and load, top five in points, top ten in points, guarantee this is going to go great kind of years, you know? And Oh, no, it is. It's, you know. It kind of opened my mind, my eyes to, like, what's possible. You know, that's what's, you know, you talk about the mental side of it, I think, uh, you know, like Nick LeBrun is a great guy. He's a great angler, but he, you know, he needed that win. You know what I'm saying? Jody, like he was, you know, we all doubt yourself to some degree, but, you know, for him to like get that win, the first one, and then, you know, I just said the second one just happens automatically almost like, you, you know, you're in that mental higher, you know, decision-making process and it's just, you're dialed in and it's just, you know, it carries you into another win right away. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same mentality. I thought, man, just, you know, just the greats can do that only. And I think it's not the case. I think it's, you know, 
someone like Nick LeBrun or whoever can step up to that level, you know, maybe we, we can't carry it as long as someone like Kevin could carry it because Kevin's got it day in and day out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No but someone, that, you know, a, a great angler still can up their game, you know, and, and I'm saying like it's just confidence, it's decision making, and it's also when you just, you know, when it happens, it happens. I'm just looking forward to, you know. I keep, you know, looking forward to my time as far as like, you know, I think I'm a consistent angler. I just, I don't look at myself as a great angler. I, I look at the person who just loves to fish though. Like I, I truly love what I do. And so I think if you truly love something, eventually maybe I'll find some greatness in it. <laughs> well, you've uh, definitely had some, you know, great, like some, some great moments uh, already, I would say. Um, so you've found, you've definitely found some of that. Um, have do you next year uh you know for for like an AOI perspective you've got i would say some of the prime competition is Michael Neal and uh Dakota Ebert cuz you know they're two guys who are they're fishing all the events and you know Neal's obviously gone back to back like do you have you spent enough time in and around either of those guys to, to like, feel like you understand how they fish or how good they are? Or is it a situation where you understand that they're, you, you understand how good they are, but you don't, like, know how to replicate it or something like that? Like, I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to say that you're bad, but, like, those two guys are fishing at an incredible level lately, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, it goes to the the same topic to discuss as you know they're a, a great caliber, both of them. You know they're they're both I think great people in general. I don't know um, I know Dakota somewhat. You know I talk with him on and off, and you know when I declined my offer to fish the Bass Pro Tour, he's the one who got my slot, and so I called him first and said, Hey Dakota, you've got your chance to go up to the you know that circuit because it's not you know it just wasn't my you know wasn't in my cards to go that route you know that year, and so. You know, he's a great young fisherman, but he had earned it as far as, like, he's got that passion for bass fishing. He's got that passion for competitive bass fishing. And the years prior, you know, he had just fished and fished and fished and fished and just took that knowledge that he was building up. And at some point, it's going to pay off. And that's where you've seen, you know, his hard work is finally paying off. And... Michael Neal is saying he he's always been a you know a solid angler, but he I think I felt like he put the work in, and you could often watch him evolve into a great angler. Yeah. And Do so, you? Oh, go ahead. So I mean, at some point, you know, I think I'll start putting the work back into it again, and you know, I think I'll have you know have my shot to to you know evolve back to the next level again. I feel like I was right there at the next level, and then you know priorities shift in your in your life and then you know you kind of take a back you know fishing takes a back seat kind of like a little bit but i'm ready to you know you know give fishing a little bit more of you know, my time in a, you know in a week you know because in a you know in a week's time I, you know most of my time is not spent dealing with fishing it's you know being spent with other stuff and so at some point in the future you know i expect to spend a lot more time with the rod and reel in your hand, just getting dialed in with decision making and you know gut feelings and, and all that because it's all based upon time in the water. There's no you know real substitute for developing intuitions and stuff as far as you know making those big uh, big moves. Yeah, no doubt. You're uh, 
So you're 47 now, um, unless my math is wrong. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm 47. Uh, you don't, and like, we have seen a really a striking number of really young anglers, like really succeeding lately. Uh, there are going to be, at least for parts of the season next year on the Invitationals, there are going to be four teenagers. Uh, Colin Crawford is 17, Marshall Robinson is 19, and then Jaden Parrish and Elijah Myers are 18 and 19 as well. And, like, we just saw Kyle Hall, like, rip off two really big wins. He's 20, well, he's 25 now. Like, do you, I don't know, do you wish you had come to this a little bit earlier, or do you feel like you have a lot of, a lot of, like, leg room ahead of you to grow and compete and, like, have more big accomplishments? Does that make I, I don't, yeah, oh, I'm not saying, hey, no, you think you're too old, but what do you, do you wish you'd been doing this earlier with how many just kids are doing so great these days? You know, well, that's what you, if you looked at what they have available to them, you know, for example, so when I was, you know, that age, you know, it was like, okay, pull out the paper map, you know, type thing. I mean, the, the separation of a good angler and a great angler back then was really obvious. And so if you took a, you know, all the technology we have now, the learning curve, all the data right there in front of you to to slide you up and close that gap between a good angler and a great angler, that gap is closed, you know. And that's where, you know, like Kyle Hall, you know, hats off to him. He had a fantastic season. But the same thing, he's been putting his time in. Him and Dakota, I think, are were pretty, I mean, were great friends and traveled and fished, and they just, you know, it's having that technology, but it's also being confident and when things align, when the events align for that technology to come into play, you know, like his win in Gunnersville, it just, you know, it happened for him, you know. And so super excited to see that happen for him. But if you took those same kids and put them back in to my era when I was 19 or 20 and, and had them go fishing, they wouldn't have the success right off the get-go because that gap it was so big back then as far as, like, not having the technology, not, you know, be able to close that gap i guess yeah it definitely feels like there was a time period where and i don't know if it i'm not saying nobody ever closed the gap but there was a time period where like larry nixon just had a built-in massive advantage over any rookie and now i i agree i think that gap is narrower uh at the same time i think there's some folks who are like taking you know, fishing to uh, like higher levels than we've ever seen. You know, when you yep. look at Wheeler, when you look at Palinick, and like you look at some guys, just how well they like, how good they are. It's a little bit astounding. You know, you know, where maybe maybe the gap can grow just because folks can get better than they ever could. Oh, look, it's, it'll be interesting to see how you know the evolution of fishing continues to, to grow. I mean, absolutely. Like Paul Nick is a, you know, I don't know him personally, but he is, a, I just, by watching him and the decisions he makes, you know, he's a, a beast, you know, at, at, at fishing. And he's got that passion in his heart to, to win, you know, and that desire. And the same thing with Jacob Wheeler, he's got the desire to win. Yeah, and Wheeler's 32, I think. Uh, you know, the age is not so much a factor, you know, I mean, I'm sure when you get into that late fifties or sixties, where you actually start to, I feel like I'm not, 
any. You're not. You're not physically any, slowing any advantage. down. No, no, I'm not. No disadvantage. You know, with my age, you know, per se, and you know, if anything, sometimes it actually helps you become more grounded. You know, and and kind of more confident in what you're doing. So no, I'm. You know. Yeah, it'd have been it been awesome to be a 20-year-old kid right now and just jumping into the sport of bass fishing. That would, that would, that would be incredible, you know. Like, the yeah. young guys have it <laughs> so good. Like, you know, they, they really do. They've got it so good to, to, to jump in a boat and have that that map card right at your fingertip right in front of you and your GPS telling you exactly where you are. Then now, now, you know, beyond that, you get the forward-facing sonar and the side sonar and the 360. I mean, that's all the technology out there. And then the rods, the reels, the line, the bait, you know, the fluorocarbon. You know, just everything has just gotten so much better. Everything has. Yeah, you started fishing the Toyota Series in, like, 2014. And you were fishing BFLs as far back as 2001. What was, like, what was your first... When you started fishing tournaments, one, when did you start fishing tournaments? And two, what was your boat like? Like, what were you running? Oh, I spent so long, Jody. I'm 47 now, so, you know... It's not that old. Day. We just went over that. <laughs> I know, but the, you know the memory part of it. You know, you know, my brother and I, we were you know teammates, and so we always traveled around and, and fished out of a a seventeen foot Ranger, and then we won a seventeen foot Skeeter, and we've fished out of that for years. And so we always fished out of a small, you know, small boat with a ninety horse engine, typically. And they had a, a series here for you know smaller boats as well, the Tri State ninety under horsepower class. And that was fun, but. You know, I always, you know, that kind of established some roots, though, too, not having, you know, my first time fishing, there was no GPS, you know, it was all paper maps, and, you know, that's what I'm saying, that gap was so much bigger than now, because if, you know, it took time to find them humps, and get time to, you know, get them all dialed in, and, and to find them more than once, you know, to refine the same spots, and so, you know, yeah, my roots of, you know, fishing, have been fishing a long time, you know, and I don't ever look backwards at my fish. I look forward and I look forward to, you know, into my future of fishing. I don't ever foresee it going away. You know, like I don't ever feel like the passion or the desire to get up in the morning and go fishing is ever going to quit in my heart. Like I've always had that passion for it. And I think, that, you know, I'll go, I'll be like, you know, I'll be like a Larry Nixon. I'll be old and, you know, and weathered, but still have that heart full of joy and the heart desire just to go out and, you know, and be on the water and catch fish. I guess probably almost everyone who's a pro angler, like you probably have to have that desire to just to be okay with doing it as long as you do it for in, you know, in all the conditions that you have to fish in. But I bet that there's a, I bet that for the best of the best, um, there's a bit of a separating factor, you know, like the, the drive is the drive and desire and just sort of, the love of the game is a couple of clicks up from, you know, guys who are from some, not everybody, but like, you know, I'm sure there's guys who say they love bass fishing and spend a lot of time around the cut line versus guys who like 125% love bass fishing and are like you and are in the top 10 every year. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's no, there's definitely a level of commitment to it, you know, a passion for it. I mean, you know, that's one thing I want to do want to say is like, you know, in the 2023 season, I'm going to miss my, uh, my roommates, you know, they've, they've gone and done, you know, other things this next year. So, 
you know, I was traveling with Jamie Horton and Rusty Tracinger and Scott Dobson, and they're all three are doing different things this next year. And so, you know, I'm going to keep up with uh, Rich Lewinsky and uh, John Voiles for traveling for most of the season next year. And so, you know, I'll keep in touch with that, you know, but it's, it's, it'll be fun. You know, it, it was a lot of fun the last couple of years traveling with those guys because you become a, a small family with who you travel with. And so I'll definitely miss that, you know, going into next year. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of tough because, like, it's, it is a lot more fun to be at a tournament when you're there with, like, a good group that you can, you know, eat dinner with, talk with, like, you know, bounce stuff off, even if it's not like, hey, shit, even if you're not sharing every detail, like sometimes it's just really good to be like, hey, are you seeing this too? Or am I crazy? Do I need to look at this? Like, it's a, I I feel like that's a big part of just tournament travel and like why it keeps you coming back so much, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's fun to just, you know, sit around the dinner table and talk fishing with guys and you know i've always been one to i guess give information but not get information because you know i've always got this weird mental side of it you know taking that taking collecting that data you know and so i don't part of my data collecting is usually not from the dinner table you know for me you know a lot of guys you know it does help them have roommates to build off of and you know and you know the johnson brothers would be a prime example that chris and Corey johnson who you know for years always have worked together and you know, obviously, it's worked fantastic for them. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely true. They've really got a uh, those I, those guys have a real knack for it. And I think that in some places it works better than others. Like, oh, yep. You know, you look at just the accumulated knowledge they have of like the Thousand Islands. You know, whether it's Ontario or the river, you know, those rocks don't move. You know what I mean? They don't. <laughs> uh, whereas, exactly. like, stuff moves down south. You know, you can have a really good partnership, and you need to keep adding to it every year, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, grass beds come and go all the time, you know? And those those rocks, they stay put, and, you know, certain big fish always seem to get attracted to certain spots. And, you know, it never hurts to, you know, have it, you know... An, like I said, with Chris and Corey, where they shared, you know, data freely, but they're also great minds, you know, think alike, you know, and so they, they have that mutual respect for each other. Yeah. I, I've been around a lot of, you know, I've spent a lot of time around, like, you know, some very good anglers, including, like, some very good smallmouth anglers, and, you know, you're obviously, you know, very good at a lot of things, but extremely good at catching smallmouth, and I do think that one thing that, I don't want to say it stands in the way of you having like one of those info sharing partnerships, but I feel like you think about fishing differently than a lot of other folks do. And obviously you think about it in a really successful way, but I could see how, I don't know. It just feels like sometimes you're on a little bit different wavelength of from the average guy. And that's, it's cool, but it's also might be a challenge sometimes for you. No, absolutely, Jody. I mean, that's what I said. We're all individuals, and, you know, I've always done what kind of works for me, I guess, you know, and maybe I need to evolve that and change that a little bit too, you know. I just hate to, you know, like my system has kind of halfway worked. I said I've been consistent, you know, but it's just, I oh, feel it's like. Whole, it's all the way worked. <laughs> you know, but I feel like, no, but I still feel like you said, there's, there's something 
that when it clicks, I think, you know, I, you know, I'll go to that next level. Cool. You know? Well, I, here's hoping that this is the year. I, I, I want to see like, I mean, look, Connell won three last year. Why don't you win four? Let's just do it big, you know? I'll just I'll start off with one and then see what happens because, you know, <laughs> I I remember like you know my AOI season you know which that was a very you know that's an up and down year <laughs> because of COVID and them changing the lakes and the changing the schedule and that was you know but I remember like I think it was Becker in the bag line one time and he was just like Ron I'm just waiting for you to slip and I'm like I'm not, not slipping I said you think you have to you know and I just that was my mental tenacity saying, you know, I'm determined to just, you know, make this happen. Like I want it. It's going to happen. I'm going to do everything to make it happen. And so that's kind of where I need to get back into that mental tenacity to say, look, you know, give me one win and then I'll see what happens. Like, I'll just, you know, you know, I'm going to want it that much more, you know, once you get that first win. Yeah. That year was, it was incredible. You finished fifth at Rayburn. 11th at the Harris chain, second at Martin. Um, then and Martin, we did, that was the last tournament before we like shut down for a chunk of time. Uh, yep, cause that was, yep. you know, spring of 2020. Um, then you finished 41st at Chickamauga when we restarted at the end of June. Uh, that was a 200 boat tournament cause we had, we were doing the super tournaments then, then 12th yep. at the Mississippi river. And then 34th at Erie. And by then, by the time we got to Sandusky and Erie, like, you pretty much had to just not bomb to win AOI, if I remember correctly. Because I think that John Canada was, like, right on your heels going into the Mississippi. And he did pretty bad there. And you did really awesome. And so, all yep. of a sudden, it's, uh, you know, it was like yeah, your time to shine. Yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean... You know, that's, it, happened, it worked out great, but I kind of wish, you know, in hindsight, now looking back, that was one event I wish I would have gone and actually pre-fished for was uh, over there in Sandusky because there were so many options, you know, it was all new. Like, I mean, I live close to there. It's only a four-hour drive, probably a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive from my house, and I did not go pre-practice that event, you know. And so I had a wheel-bearing issue one day. It kept me, you know, in the parking lot most of the day, and so that – shorten my practice down a little bit but you know it was in my wheelhouse luckily you know and you know i was able to find some large ones and some small ones to make it make it a good event yeah but it's just didn't, you caught like a huge large mouth out of a tree one of those days didn't yes you? i did oh she was big she was a six pounder you know she was six pounds even which is a big large mouth up north you know oh yeah did you find that yeah, fish yeah. in practice? Like, did you see it and know it and, like, knew you were going to go catch it? No, I kind of, that tree was at a mouth of a bay, and to me it reminded me of, like, a tidal fishery, how you know, the Great Lakes will rise and fall with the wind directions changing, and I felt like that tree was on a point, and that current would kind of suck around, and those fish were there, and so I stopped on that tree the day before. I caught, like, a four-pounder, and then the next flip, I missed a missed a bite you know flipping that tree and it, it was all chalky dirty water i told uh the guy with me you know the marshal i was like that's man, i felt like a five six pounder i felt like i'm just a big great big fish just the way she bit that you know when that weight i punched pitched in there and so when i came back that next day you know i came in the flipping stick in my hand expecting to flip that tree and the water was crystal clear because you know the tide had changed the wind tide had changed and it's sucking that clear water out of that bay and so 
I had Rob with me, you know, doing the camera work, and I'm like, yeah, he's doing video stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's something, you know, it's not what I expected, and so, you know, I had power pulled down there, and then I did see her come. She came swimming in, and I actually swam under my boat, and I sat there and waited until she swam away from my boat before I power pulled up and moved, and basically retied and tied a Senko on and stayed off that tree and, and cast her and caught her. Wow, that's it amazing. Was, uh, it was a good, it's an amazing feeling to get that fish in the, you know, in the net. That was, you know, I was like, that's a big fish. And I thought she was, I knew she was giant, but I know she was six, but I was like, that's a big fish, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that was, that was big time, for sure. But it was, it was definitely an amazing feeling, though, when the season was all said and done to probably the, you know, the biggest, because you're, you're far from checking. So even if you have a big sack of fish, you know, you're a long ways from checking, you know, to having the day being successfully in the books, you know. So tossing in my check-in number, you know, I can't explain to anybody how that felt, how good it felt. Like knowing I had done my work and everything came together how it's supposed to, made the safe boat ride back and was able to check in. And at that point, once I checked in, I'm like, the amount of emotions that came over me was just, you know, incredible. Yeah, because like by then you just... You knew you need know what you need to do. You you the points cushion was like it was there, like it was tangible, you know. And uh, gosh, that's amazing. It must have been like I know that you want to win, but winning AOI is gotta like it's gotta feel just incredible at that level because it's such a hard thing to do. And you know you're not fishing against twenty or thirty guys in a local club or something like that. You're fishing against 150 guys many of whom are like if they weren't stars then some of them are now <laughs> you know that was uh matt becker was good then and now he's like you know super good <laughs> like we've we've seen a we've seen a lot from that that class back then yep yep no it, it, it's some until you've done it and achieved it, it you just can't explain what it means it's so hard i, I didn't realize you know the importance of it per se. I mean, I wanted that title bad, but now looking back at it and just realizing everything has to go right every single day, you know, and I had one bad horrific day, you know, on Rayburn, my first year, my first day, my first year of the pro circuit, you know, I made, it had a mechanical issue, but I messed up, you know, I actually got spun out and that really cost me a true chance of having two back-to-back AOIs, you know? And so, I wanted it really bad in 2020 after knowing I, I got a taste of it in 2019, my rookie year. I go, I really want that title. Like, I, you know, it is so hard to, you know, I've not won a, a pro circuit event yet, but I know it's hard to win one, but it, to, to show up and have a chance to win, you know, every one and to be consistently, you know, it's hard. It's, it's really, really hard. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Ron, I, we've talked for, uh, over an hour now, which uh, I really appreciate because I like talking with you, um, and I always learn some stuff along the way. But uh, is there anything? I know you know your social media is a little bit off and on. Your sponsorship stuff is a little bit off and on. But is there anything you want to plug uh, or anything like that? Any any places you want to send folks um, before we call it a day? No, I do want to plug uh, my wife. I want to thank her for her support always, and my sponsors that do stand behind me. I thank them as well. And Jody, I can't thank you enough for getting me involved and starting my year off with you. I enjoy 
talking with you every time I see you every morning. The tournament is always a joy to see you in the morning. You know, you're a morning person. You're always <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> sharp, sharp, sharp in the morning, and I am not sharp. So I, I want to thank you because you've always helped me. You know, I'll have some technical issues in the morning sometimes. I'm like, hey, Jody, where you at? Help me. We do usually fiddle with a so, GoPro at least once a at least once yeah. a tournament. <laughs> yes, you know. So it, you know, hats off to you, and you know, look forward to having a great season with MLF. And uh, you know, to all the guys that are looking forward as well. You know, happy New Year to you, and 2023 is going to be a great year. Well, Ron, thanks for coming on, and uh, I look forward to seeing you down in Florida in uh, really not too long. 